Welcome to Focus Schools podcast, Leading for Impact. My name is Brett Bishop, and I've been working with Focus Schools for multiple years now and feel thankful for the opportunity to support schools and districts all across the country and the hard work that they're doing to make students' lives better. And I'm excited today as we have an episode from our category called Every Student Every Day, where we'll be, I'm joined today by a superintendent of the Downey Unified School District, John Garcia. Welcome, John. Thanks, Brett. Great to be here with you. Yeah, so excited. So I wondered if you might just give us a little bit of your professional background, how you arrived at superintendent there. You know, uh, like many folks, I had a journey that started as a teacher uh, in our business. And I was an elementary school teacher, uh, fourth and fifth grades, just loved it, loved that. But also knew early on that I wanted to get into the leadership aspect as I move forward in education. I really just the thought of being able to uh, impact students on a greater level and in greater numbers was really attractive to me. And so I uh, started in the leadership track, started as an assistant principal, like many folks, as my first administrative job and then worked my way. And along the way in my career, I had the good fortune not only to be an elementary school principal, which is what I taught, but also to move on and be a middle school principal and then ultimately ended up as a high school principal. So I had the great fortune being able to lead schools at all three levels and kind of see the different aspects of elementary education, middle grades, and and the high school portion as well. And after that, moved up into district office position, did assistant soup of human resources, and then moved over after a few years to uh, educational services and got to supervise principals, which quite frankly, I loved HR. It was very interesting work, but After three years of that, when I got back into the educational services realm and being able to work directly with my principals and supervising them was truly just an absolute joy. Uh, So I did those roles for six years. And then nine years ago, starting in 2013, I was selected as the superintendent of Downing Unified School District. It's my hometown. So it was a dream come true. I'd never worked here before being superintendent, but really just a dream job for me to be able to do this in my my hometown and, and, and give back to a, a place that gave me so much. So been here for the last nine years, continue to work with focus schools, uh, implementing the concept of instructional leadership teams, coaching up our principals, uh, those kind of things. So that's, uh, that's it. And, you know, I'm, I'd love to finish my career here if I can in the next few years. One of the things that I've enjoyed so much when my time being in Downey is the passion that you bring to the job. And I've heard you talk before about you being from Downey and how much it means to you to be supporting kids in Downey. And that brings us to why we specifically wanted to speak to you today, because we admire so much of the work that you do in your support. And specifically today, we want to talk about the human side of that and the way we really admire you, make sure that people are valued and that you are attentive to the human and the adaptive side of the work. So I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about from the superintendent's perspective, you know, how how do you make sure that people are prioritized in your leadership? Yeah, I I really appreciate you asking that. I think it comes from, um, you know, for me anyway, I think it has to stem from a, a love of what you do fundamentally and never forgetting the impact and that the opportunity that are that title of superintendent and the scope of decision-making of which we get to engage in, what that does for you, uh, and being cognizant of the responsibilities that come along with that. You know, in our particular district, we're about 22,000 students. We have almost 3,000 employees. And knowing and understanding that every one of those person brings value to what we do for kids every single day, irrespective of their position. And I think a lot of that goes to my background of being fortunate of having worked at schools at all three levels, 
and really knowing and understanding at a fundamental level, not only what the teachers do at each of those levels, but what the utility workers, the custodians, the cafeteria workers, what everybody contributes to the functioning of a school and making it a happy and productive place for students. And the breadth of my experiences really just gave me a perspective on that. Plus, I don't discount being in my hometown and again, feeling the level of passion and the level of gratitude that I have for this community that really has provided me a life beyond what I could have imagined. You know, my, my dad never graduated high school. My mom and he were married at a very young age, really worked through, struggled, didn't, you know, neither one of them went to college. So being the first college graduate of my family and really knowing what public education did for me and specifically, as I said, this community, my dad was a school guy. He started as a custodian. He was a gardener. He was a carpenter. So as a kid, I got to see through those lenses what he brought to work every day. I used to go to work with him in the summer sometimes and, you know, hang out and, you know, help weed and, you know, all those kind of things that, that you do. But just understanding the value of what and the passion that he brought as a gardener, as a carpenter, providing the best learning environment for students. So my life experiences, my professional experiences really just uh, shape me into making sure that I'm doing my best as superintendent to value and not only uh, to value, but to know that people value the work that they're bringing to the table every single day on behalf of our kids. So it's so powerful to, to you know, hear when the highest performing people that I've worked with in whatever job it is in schools, it always seems like there's a sort of a moral imperative to their work and they're doing it for, uh, it's almost like a calling rather than a job. And I, yeah. I feel that way when I listen to you talk about that. I really appreciate that. I wondered, you mentioned in talking about your background, specifically how much you enjoy the work of supporting principals. And yeah. we really value watching the way that you are very, very diligent to make sure that the there's not too much on their plate and that you're allowing principals to be focused on being instructional leaders and be in their building. And just wondered if you had any strategies or ways that you try to make sure that you allow principals to keep the main thing, the main thing by your work. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that question, Brett, because it's a, it's a really challenging thing. You know, I heard years ago when I was a site administrator that my job as principal was to work to try to provide a buffer for my teachers, right? So, so we weren't piling too much on their plates, right? Because we need them to focus on keeping the main thing, the main thing. And I really felt like when I became a principal, especially having served as a principal at all three levels, again, you know, when the district was pushing stuff down on me, it's really challenging to my mind. Uh, and I always keep this in mind, I think principal is the most difficult position in any school district. And, you know, I used to have a couple of bosses that told me other than superintendent, high school principal is the most complex. This is no disrespect to our elementary and our middle school principals, but, but high school principal is an enormous, enormous beast because of the amount of constituencies that you're juggling. And so in my mind, principal is the hardest job in the school district, particularly the high school principalship, because you're also managing up. Uh, as superintendent, I'm managing up with a board, but I have a little bit more autonomy. So having lived that life at three different levels during those years, I really try to keep cognizant of that and allowing and, and trying us at the district while we have mandates that we have to operate under from state and feds and all those kind of things, but also trying to serve as a buffer for our principal. And when we can't, making sure that we are there saying, hey, we are here to support you. We're going to help you through this. We're not going to leave you because there were times in my personal career where I just felt like this edict came down from the district 
And they just said, your job to figure it out. There's nowhere I could go to provide some support and say, hey, I need some help with this here. Mm, Can I get some help? And I really, and again, when when I came across in my previous district working with Focus Schools, uh, I worked with a superintendent who brought in Focus Schools and really valued the principals in a district and knew and understand that your, your principals are the ones who are going to make things happen and you got to show them the value and the appreciation. So, you know, learning that lesson and feeling that resonated so much with me as a former principal that I vowed that I want to continue that work of, look, when we can't buffer principals and we have to do something on the flip side saying, but we're here to support you. We're here to work with you to make sure this happens and provide those things that we can as a district office because we know that you are supporting your teachers and everybody knows the number one indicator of student achievement is a highly qualified teacher. Mm -hmm. But after that, it's a highly qualified and effective principal. So, you know, it's also just a smart, prudent thing to do on our part, I believe. Yeah. And when you were talking, I so appreciate that perspective. And I, uh, as a former principal, felt like I was blessed because I worked with a uh, superintendent, much like yourself, a visionary. And I remember her always teaching me that her rule was problems roll uphill and support rolls downhill. That's a great way to put it. And I conversely in my career, I had the opposite of that on a couple of occasions, which really, again, a lot of times we learn, you know, what we want to do from what we don't want to repeat. Right. Those lessons are very powerful of, you know what, if I ever had the chance, I'm not going to do that. And Mm. some of those have really stuck with me. So I work hard to to do the opposite, which is to make sure and be there, provide supports, not have our principals feel like they're in it alone because that's a rough, it's, it's not a good feeling. Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's wise. And I, and I agree with you that sometimes, you know, you can learn from either really good examples and you also can learn from things that don't go so well. <laughs> they can, they can be helpful lessons. Yeah. So, so I guess that, that when you're talking about how it's such a human perspective on how we can make sure that as leaders, one of the things we do is convey that message of support and that our job is to support them. And I, I wonder if you were thinking about talking to people who were considering potentially becoming superintendents or just newly hired superintendents, is there any advice you might give them that you think that would be helpful for them to consider in their career? Yeah, I, I really would. I really would want to remind them that in this position, you know, you have the ability to make people's lives much more difficult or much easier and strive to make them easier and strive to make them rewarding, particularly keeping in mind that districts really, really run on the quality of the principals and the teachers. And that is paramount, right? When I don't know one study that's ever been done that says the quality of the superintendent has the most amount of achievement, most amount of impact on student achievement. It really doesn't, but not, but it can indirectly uh, because who does have that are your teachers and are your principals. Those are the important pieces. So by supporting your principals and running effectively, having good quality and supported principals, you can absolutely move schools forward very effectively because supported principals support their teachers and that's how things move. Yeah. And I also, I, I, I've come to value, I happen to be um, privileged to be in a room um, with some superintendents who were doing some really amazing work and they were talking about that work. And one of the things I heard them say was sometimes the best evidence of uh, superintendent and principal leadership is the absence of problems. So it's hard to measure because we're measuring something that isn't there. 
And right. um, I really right. believe that that's one of the things that, that I've learned in the job they're doing now, supporting districts and schools, right. is that really highly effective administrative work, both at the district and the school level, one of the things that it, it does is help in retaining the highest performing teachers. Teachers tend to want to stay in places where they're valued and where students are prioritized and high, highly effective practices are prioritized. So I, I just, I, I wondered if you might talk a little bit about anything that you could suggest around the idea of this human side of leadership, helping to both hire really highly effective people, but also retain those that you currently have. First and foremost, to your, to your point, when you talk about it's, you know, it's not always flashy or the absence of problems. You know, there's a great quote by Massachusetts Congressman Barney Frank when they were doing the, the Dodd-Frank Act in 2008, when the economy, you know, took a tank for the Great Recession, but he said, you get no credit for crisis averted. You know, nobody knows about the crisis that was averted. They only know about the one that had to be cleaned up. So, mm-hmm. you know, but 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 it's a great way to live because you want to avert crises, right? Because they suck so much energy. But the point really is that if you look at job satisfaction studies, again, number one is not compensation, generally speaking. Number one is always about people feeling rewarded and feeling productive and feeling like they're a part of something at work. So it's really important to create that culture and keep in mind that culture of making sure that people know they are contributing to something that is bigger than themselves, because that's what people need. They want to be a part of a team. They want to be a part of something that is an organization that is going, that is moving, that is doing great things for kids. And they got to feel it every day. A lot of times I think you hear when, you know, people are unhappy, they revert to the salary and all that kind of stuff, um, which, you know, may be true in particular cases. But when you're paying a fair wage, then you really have to create that environment where people know they show up every day and what they do makes a difference. Uh, It's a lot more nuanced than just saying that, obviously. But but creating that environment is absolutely key. And in order to do that, you have to put those supports in place where number one, it's okay for people to make mistakes. And again, I know a lot of these things are easier said than done, but but it, it's okay for people to create mistakes. And if you create a mistake, here's what we're going to do. We're going to help you and support you, particularly as a principal. We're going to help you and support you and making sure that we get it to a resolution. And then number two, we're just going to sit down and we're going to debrief it. And we're going to talk about what happened and then moving forward, you know, how do we how do we create a plan to address that it doesn't happen again? Or how do we learn from that experience? But that has to be a safe place. And it becomes a safe place by people knowing, feeling and understanding that it's OK to make a mistake. Because the last thing we want, and I know this for Downey Unified School District, the last thing we want is for our principals to be crippled and paralyzed because they don't want to make a decision because they are afraid to make a mistake. Yeah. Um, because that's when really you know, a, a paralysis by analysis means nothing is happening right. versus at least somebody tried to do something and maybe it didn't go well, we'll fix it and then we'll go on from there. Yeah. And it's interesting about all the research you read about school improvement. And one of the, one of the things that always jumps out at me is the phrase that always is identified is bold leadership moves. You know, people aren't getting better by taking sort of muted leadership stances. They yes. really have to be, as you said, comfortable to say, you know, I'm going to lead boldly. And that might mean 
and I make a mistake, but I'm not going to wait around. I'm not going to keep the status quo when leadership, you know, when improvement needs to happen. And one of the things just, you know, in, in talking to people in your district about the value they have for your leadership, uh, uh, one of the things that comes up so often is people talking about how well you listen. I wondered if you could just help us to think about, you know, how can leaders make sure that they're listening? Are there any strategies, any thoughts, anything you could help us to, to make sure that they're making sure the people that they're leading know that they are heard and seen? Yeah, focus on staying humble. I really, I really feel like that humility is the key to leadership. Uh, I really feel like humility is the key to making sure that you are continuing to be responsive to what's absolutely happening, what's actually happening out there. Because in this, in this position, you're only as good as the information that you're getting. And if you're not truly listening to people, if you're not having interactive conversations, if you're coming from an approach, uh, and I have been in rooms with superintendents where I can tell they think they know it all. They, you know, you got six people in a room who think they're the smartest person in the room. And you can tell it, it, it's really about, it doesn't matter what the placard on your door says. Mm right? Because without getting good quality information, then you're not going to be able to make effective decisions for the organization. Really, it's having humility to know and understand you're only as good as the input and the information that you are getting. And in order to do that, you have to have honest and, and, and forthright conversations with people. And you have to be able to listen and people have to know that you're willing to listen, regardless of what it is they want to say, or whether you agree with it or not, that you're going to listen to what it is they have to say. But I think that all starts from a leadership perspective around humility and having the humility to to be able to do to do that. Yeah, so powerful. I heard um, the other day in a leadership seminar, somebody had described saying leaders are not leaders because of their position. They're leaders because they're first to the unknown, first to the difficult and first to the dangerous. And I thought that's it's a really powerful way of thinking about that because it sort of quantifies what you were saying. It um, is a great way to put it. If you look at Maxwell's work and, you know, when he looks at the five different areas of the five different approaches, you know, positional leadership is number one. Mm. I mean, that's that's. That's basic. And if you're leading from positional leadership, particularly the, you know, as, as you get to more difficult, you know, leader challenging leadership positions, that's you can't lead effectively from that. You you eventually get to listening, but then you also get to truly mentoring others as the highest form of uh, leadership. And that's, you know, that's what it is that we aim to do. But I will tell you, Brett, the humility piece and just in all fullest, honest disclosure, you know, in my early days in administration, I didn't have that humility when I was in my 30s, you know, yeah. in my early 30s. And I, you know, thought, oh, look how fast I'm moving and all mm. those kind of things. And, you know, eventually, as I, as I started realizing that, you know, things, I was not the leader I wanted to be. Mm. I, I really boiled it down to I wasn't listening effectively, yeah. right? I was trying to lead by showing everybody how much I knew mm. instead of, you know, listening and understanding and working more on the human side of leadership, which is two-way, it's interactive leadership. And so, you know, it was lessons hard learned, but but I had people along the way who helped mentor me and shape me in a different way, uh, which has helped my career tremendously is being able to, you know, step back, maintain that humility, and then continue to move forward from there. 
Wow, that's so powerful, John. And um, I so appreciate that humble approach that you take. And I know um, you are sincere when you say that. There are so many around you who sing your praises for the way that you lead. So um, we we so appreciate the opportunity of being able to work with you and the leaders in your district. And so just want to say thank you so much for taking your time to share your ideas with other people who will listen to this and give us the opportunity to benefit from your expertise. Awesome. Hey, thanks, Brett. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. And quite honestly, I really appreciate working with all of you at Focus Schools and all you do to support us, to support our principals. Um, It just really provides a great framework for us to make sure we're communicating effectively with each other. And you guys are great facilitators of that. So appreciate all of you as well. Thank you so much. And and want to say thank you to those who have listened to the podcast today and invite you to go to our website. That's focusschools.com, where you could connect with us in a series of ways, including our social media sites are there. We'd like you to like and follow because we always enjoy that two-way communication where we can share with you things that are going on in schools across the country that we work with. And also you can share with us. So we hope that you will continue to listen to the podcast and also connect with us in multiple ways. And again, thank you so much. Uh, and on behalf of Focus Schools. Thanks to John Garcia for being with us today. Wish you all the best in the work that you're doing to support children.